Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of geek to me Radio, episode 242. Today we'll be speaking with Amber Jordan, the owner of Kokomo Toys, on what it takes to run one of the world's coolest toy stores. Then we'll talk with composer Frank Ilfman about doing the music for the brand new movie Gunpowder Milkshake. Stand by. Finding us for the very first time. Welcome to Geek to Me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall. Every week, we try to bring you some cool interviews from the world of pop culture, TV, comic books, movies, and video games. And of course, if you're hearing us and you're a longtime listener, thank you very much for subscribing and tuning in each week. Make sure on whatever platform you're hearing us, if you're on Anchor.fm, if you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the show. That really helps us in the search algorithms and the search engine optimizations. And if you have not already done so, we would really be grateful if you'd leave us a glowing five-star review. The more reviews we get, the more higher we feature in the search engines for the different podcasts. And as you know, there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'd love us to rise above the din and become one of the uh, more sought-after, well-known podcasts. That's always the hope of every podcaster, and I appreciate you helping us make that dream a reality. We have two great guests, and we are going to dive right in. We're passing through kokomo indiana on the way back to st louis thought we'd stop in kokomo toys because wow it's, this is amazing it's the first time i've ever been here we're talking with the manager owner amber mm-hmm. owner amber jordan how are you i'm good how are you doing well i appreciate the time very busy yes uh, popped in on a sunday afternoon saturday. it looked like it is saturday my see that's how off i am saturday afternoon is this a typical saturday for you guys yes and yeah. I think it was two collections just came through that you were looking at? Is it just one big collection? It was actually, well, it was two bigger ones and then a couple smaller ones squeezed in. So, and again, that's a typical thing. People just bring you stuff. Are they all local Indiana people or people coming from out of state with their collections for you to see? Um, it's both. I get people from out of state. I get people from in the vicinity and I get people from town. And so we'll start with the easiest thing. What made you decide to open up a toy store? Insanity, most likely. <laughs> Um, we big fans, so we just kind of fell into it, I think. I don't know. And what's the largest collection you've ever bought? Um, I think it'd be a little difficult. Um, usually when they get U-Hauls involved, you know what I mean, it becomes to be quite quite the thing. Um, we just we had to get a bigger space because we didn't have a firm to store the stuff that we bought. So that's kind of why we ended up in the bigger bigger spot. 
So is this your second, like you've moved, this is your second location? You had a, obviously a first location. Any plans to go anywhere? Uh, no. <laughs> it's a lot of stuff to move, I mean. Yeah, no, I'm, no, this is, if I can't fit it in this building, then I'm not buying it or not selling it fast enough. So right. this is, this is, this is as big as I want to get. <laughs> in a very brisk business, I saw the lines just keep coming in. People get, um, I'm from St. Louis. We were mm-hmm. vacationing up in Holland, Michigan, decided to do a reroute through here specifically to check out the toy store. Awesome. This has got to be like one of those things that people do sidetrack to yes. come here. Yeah. So I saw you have a guest book. People mm-hmm. sign in. What's the farthest someone's come that you can know of off the top of your head? Um, there, I, we have international, but there's also people that do business and um, schooling and stuff like that. So they make the trip. But um, a lot of people come through like California, mm-hmm. um, Hawaii. Uh, it's just as people are visiting, if they can make the reroute, like you said, um, a guy, a couple came from New York on their way to Chicago for a wedding, and wow. he begged and begged and begged his wife to stop, <laughs> make the detour through Kokomo so that they could, because he knew he wouldn't get a chance to come back, you know, right. anytime soon. So, and not to make a stereotype, is it usually the men begging their wives or girlfriends to come through? Because I'm sure a lot of female toy collectors. So, is yeah, it, it varies. Um, it just depends on who's collecting what and what kind of stuff we have in stock at the moment. If I have a lot of Star Wars, then I may see more. Men, if I have a lot of, um, you know, Shira or different, you know, items, then the influx in women will go up. So it just depends. And you've got so much stuff. There's, there's He-Man. There's '80s toys. There's '70s toys. There's modern stuff. What is? Do you find the biggest franchise seller? Is it Star Wars? Is it He-Man, GI Joe? Something else? Is it the Funko Pops? Obviously, are huge. Something else entirely? That's a tough question to answer because there's many facets of that. Um, Star Wars is probably the biggest franchise alone. However, if you group in all superheroes together, that probably overtakes it because it's been going on for so long. But it, and then Pops will cover all of those. You know what I mean? And yeah, then yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just really depends on. It, it, it depends on a lot. But I, there's a lot of people that love all of those things. And you've got the prices set and everything. Some of this stuff is stuff I've been collecting and been a fan for a couple decades. Some of the stuff I've never even seen, mm-hmm. and it's stuff I haven't found on eBay. So what do you use? Because obviously there's pricing catalogs out there, action figure collectibles and things like that. What do you use as your metric for pricing some of the more obscure stuff? Um, sometimes it's difficult. Um, sometimes we, we try online sources. Um, sometimes we get with other Ex, quote unquote experts sure. in the industry, um, just because that's a loose term. So, but people that we have respect for that are are big on those different things, we'll talk to them and you know and see what they're feeling or what they've heard or you know things like that. Because we we try to make you know fair prices and things like that. So we don't want to make it just some astronomical price just because it's something I've never seen. Right. So. Is it ever like Pawn Stars where people come in and bring something in that you, you have not seen before and you have to actually pause them and get somebody outside? Or do you guys have staff that's pretty knowledgeable about everything across the board? Yeah, I would say most of the stuff that is brought in is pretty... Usually if it's something that's obscure, the people that have it know it's obscure so we can get a heads up ahead of time. So if I need to reach out to a friend or anything like that, we can do that you know, before actually meeting and a little earlier in the year, we had Brian Volkwies on the show mm-hmm. talking about a toy store near you, which was a brilliant series. I uh, had to help out places. It looks like, obviously, you're very busy. Uh, COVID's kind of, everything's starting to bounce back. What was the hardest part, I guess, of, uh, how did COVID impact the store? And what was the hardest part going uh, overall? It, it was weird. 
because they, you know obviously we had to shut down so we were closed and we work all of the time like mm-hmm. all of the time so to come in every day and not open the store was really strange yeah. for us yeah. I mean we still did online orders so there's always work to be done but that part was weird um, but I feel like we handled it the best that we could um, in the circumstances we were given um, and just having the opportunity to do the show was amazing yeah. so it was a lot of fun um, it was a lot of work but we had we had a good time doing it so with the staff here so and Brian always <laughs> makes it easy he's such a brilliant eye for stuff and how to produce stuff so that was I guess part of the fun too is working with him finding yeah. out what worked and what didn't yeah we just you know they're like hey do this or hey can you do this or hey what about a shot of this and I'm like oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> and with everything you've got in here all the stuff I know uh, you've got an eBay store, mm-hmm. but you don't actually have like an online presence per se. Because I was right. asking about one of the things they said. Well, if it's not an eBay, what right. was what was the decision? Is it just to kind of save your sanity not to do an online and eBay and the brick and mortar too? Kind of, yeah. Because it's, <laughs> it's essentially it's just my husband and I. So I have an employee up there, but everybody else is just my, like my sister. Like I said, they're friends that come in and help out on when they know I'm going to be busy. Um, so most of the time it's just him and I, um, and especially at that time we made that decision, it was just him and I, but with the different ways that we could sell things and the different options with having a brick and mortar, having an online, um, we like the personal aspect of it where people can come in, especially vintage things, they can come in and they can see it. If you're going to buy a brand new Batman that just came out, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? You don't really have to see it. Right. But if you're going to buy something that's 40, 50 years old, you may want to double check the condition before you purchase it. Yeah, yeah. So that's why we like having this. Plus, it gives people a place to go with family, friends. Um, you know, they're different. People like to bring in their kids and, you know, let them see in person the things that they had because they're like, oh, what is that? You know what right, I mean? They right. only. The guys only have like five points of movement. It's not really fun, Dad. But you know, so it's fun for them to actually see it. And owning a toy store, you and your husband. Um, how many of the relatives are like, "Hey, you know, Aunt Amber, come Christmas, that thing in the case over there is that does that happen very frequently with the relatives?" It can. Um, <laughs> thankfully, the way the kids are spaced in the family, it's not too big of a deal. Good. My niece gets the most spoiling, mm. um, but she's getting out of that age where she thinks they're cool. My kids have thought toys are not cool for several years now just because if you know, my son was like six and he was in here cutting open boxes these great big Cthulhu's and he's just like it was fun for a while Mom, but it's, it's not really fun anymore so well then follow up question are you adopting because I would love to you know if you want yeah you know I get that question a lot <laughs> okay. um no <laughs> okay just thought I'd ask couldn't hurt um and final question what is the one thing have you ever gotten anything in that's like I don't know if we want to let this go because you've got a lot of cool things on display. I assume everything's for sale, though. Always. What's been the quickest thing you got in and it went out, like, within an hour or two? I couldn't, Honestly, I couldn't answer that because it happens quite often. Sometimes it's not anything expensive or necessarily rare. It's just something somebody was really, really looking for. Um, other times it can be, you know, something that's much harder to find, and they're like, oh, I'm, you know, that's just wrap it up because it's going home with me. Yeah. Um, so it really does vary with that I don't it, sometimes it's vintage sometimes it's modern like I said it just it's always random but um, for us sometimes we'll keep a hold or maybe not put in such a prominent display something that you know I like looking at yeah, so I'm not yeah. really in a hurry to sell it yeah. but um, I would never turn it down you know if they wanted to buy it at that right. price but you know sometimes I just maybe kind of set it over to the side and be like oh, I'll just admire it for a little bit longer before I you know place it in the front where yeah. everyone can see it 
as someone who's bought and sold, I know sometimes it's like, do I really want to get rid of this? So yeah, it's. Uh, but as owning a store, I guess it's one of those things where it's got to go eventually. Oh yeah, and it's for us, it's a little different, I guess, because we see them come and go so often. Yeah, it's not a big deal. I can look at it for a couple of days or maybe a couple hours and then sell it, and it's like, okay, it's fine, I'll get it again. But um, some things I just I happen to like in particular, so it's just like, oh, I don't know, maybe it take me a couple <laughs> days to talk to my husband and let me keep right, being able right. to keep it, take it home, but. Or see if I can sneak it that way, but at least for a while I can put it on my desk and it can be mine. Until yeah, <laughs> that's always nice. At least you've got that option. It's, it's yours it. for a while. Yeah, yeah. Amber Jordan, uh, again, if you're driving through Kokomonia and you've got to see this place, it's absolutely amazing. I'm probably going to walk around with my mouth hanging open for another five or ten minutes. But Amber Jordan of Kokomo Toys, where can people find you guys online, social media handles, things like that? Yeah, um, you can find us on um, Facebook, Kokomo Toys, uh, as well as. Instagram, Pokemon Toys, um, those are probably the two main, main ones there. Perfect. And like I said, if you're driving through, definitely check it out. Amber Jordan, thanks for your time today. It's been brilliant talking to you. Yeah, it was nice to talk to you too. A little break from the craziness. Exactly. <laughs> My thanks again to Amber Jordan. If you are ever near, like even remotely near Kokomo, Indiana, I suggest you go check out Kokomo Toys. It is a just a breathtakingly beautiful place uh, for any toy collector or nostalgia seeker to go in there and just look. And I have no doubt you'll probably want to leave with an item or two for yourself. We're going to take our first break and we're going to come back, talk with composer Frank Ilfman about composing the score and assembling the music for Gunpowder Milkshake. Please stand by. Hello, Ghostbusters. This is Laura Summer, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio. I'm your host, James Enstall, and I want to make sure I tell you about the official movie sponsor of Geek to Me Radio because we love our movies here on the show. We're big fans. Uh, Marcus Theaters. Dot com. Marcus Theaters is the website, MarcusTheaters.com, for you to find the location closest to you of the Marcus Theaters or Movie Tavern uh, with uh, locations across the country. You can go to the website, find the location closest to you, pick a movie out, see reviews. You can do all that right from there. And I always recommend downloading the app because the other day we were driving, we're out, uh, driving around. I'm like, huh, you know what? If we're going to see a movie, let's find out the one closest to us. The app will allow you to do that. The app will allow you to buy your tickets for that movie. The app will also allow you to buy your concessions for that movie. So they're right there waiting for you when you arrive, uh, depending if you're you know cutting it close to when the movie starts or whatever else. And one of the cool things, if you would like to, maybe it's a, a birthday or an anniversary or you're just having a, a friend's night out. You can rent a Marcus Theater, a private cinema, starting at $99, depending on what location you're in. And you and 20 of your closest friends can have the run of the theater. Spread out, sit wherever you want, cluster together, whatever you'd like to do, and see a movie the way it's meant to be seen. Because I know a lot of the places, like Black Widow, it's streaming on Disney+. Plus. You have to pay a premium fee for it. But if you're going to do that anyway, if you're going to pay for the movie, why not go someplace where you can have an immersive experience, where it's a really cool setting? Because movie theaters... They deliver where even the best home surround system and uh, quality TV will not deliver at the same experience level. So check out Marcus Theaters. Again, the website, MarcusTheaters.com, and get out there. See a movie the way they're meant to be seen in the theater. 
MarcusTheaters.com for the best movie-going experience in the galaxy. And with that said, talking about movies, I came across this new one, just came out, Gunpowder Milkshake, with a fantastic cast. Karen Gillan is the lead, uh, Lena Headley, you've got Angela Bassett, you've got Paul Giamatti, a great, great movie that I just adored. It uh, it kind of struck me and hit me in a, in a weird way, kind of like Atomic Blonde did in 2017, and kind of like Ready or Not did in 2019. Here comes this one out of left field, and I loved it. It's going to make my top five favorite movie list, so I was very stoked to be able to talk to my next guest. Right now we're talking to musician and composer Frank Ilfman about working on Gunpowder Milkshake. What It will end up being one of my top five favorite films of 2021, I can already tell. I don't think anything's going to knock it out of place. But the music on this was just amazing, and now we get to talk to the guy responsible for that. Frank, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well, thank you. I'm in, uh, at the moment, summary London. Oh, nice, nice, very nice. And I'm I'm here in Summary, St. Louis. I think it's probably a little hotter and and uh, stickier here. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So uh, I watched this movie, and not only is it visually stunning, the music and the soundtrack it just kind of really pushes everything along as well. It's like this perfect blend of sight and sound. Talk a little bit about forming the music for Gunpowder Milkshake. Um. Well, the idea was, um, you know, what what kind of you know, what the director created is this kind of um, it's it's a mix of a like a genre blender, and um, it has you know it's like a neo western meet uh, comic like a samurai comics and uh, you know old spy movies from the forties and fifties. Um, so our idea was basically how how can we do it musically, and the idea was to try and uh try and do like a sort of a uh, i would say probably a homage to all these kind of styles of music but then still keep it original and also modern to fit the film because the film is timeless we're not sure when it's taking place mm-hmm. uh, we're not sure exactly where it's taking place as well so that was the idea to create some sort of a a blend or a milkshake, if you want, of, of all these kind of musical styles, yet give them, you know, a specific identity and then kind of fuse them into the film without, you know, uh, making it too, uh, too old or too, you know, a too niche kind of a thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd say timeless is a great way to describe it because you, you'll, you'll see buildings and sets and just the the aesthetics and the lights from from the bowling alley to the doctor's office, you're not really sure. It could be modernist. It could be a little bit uh, older. It, it's it's uh, it was a well done from that aspect certainly. And uh, I, I suppose that stylistically, music wise, that could be a difficult target to hit. Then, yeah, I mean that that was the hard part is to try and um, you know how do you stay original and yet you know kind of fuse all these styles. So what. Uh, what me and Avot originally uh, talked about was, you know, we we like it's like combining kind of like um, you know Sergio Leone with Akira Kawasawa with Alfred Hitchcock and kind of fuse them all together, and and that's more or less you know the kind of style that the film is. And then we started discussing how do we do the same thing with the music. So we had all our influences. If it was uh, Stilvio. Capriani, and then if it was um, Henry Mancini or John Barry or uh, Bernard Herrmann and Ennio Morricone, of course, um, 
so the idea was how do we do the how do we utilize these kind of styles and all these kind of French pop uh, Italian pop from the 60s um, and to fit them into the style of, of the music so a lot of it was the characters and each character basically in the film has its own kind of signature tune almost like the good the bad and the ugly and if you want or once upon a time in the West and so on and um, so Sam, Sam's character, in a way, she's kind of on one side. She dresses as like one of those um, old spy movies. Mm-hmm. He has a bit of that kind of um, symbolism and um, harpsichord sound that attached to her, almost like the Ipricus file from John Barry, if you you know that kind of a style. And then. Um, and then, and then uh, uh, Scarlet is kind of like a gunslinger. So I, we we thought for her the best would be obviously go to that kind of uh, spaghetti western style. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then I took all these kind of elements and actually I I literally blend them within each different character and different style as they progress within the film. So you know, say the bowling alley fight. You know, that's that's kind of like um, that's like what if ecstasy of gold was put onto a fight scene with the emotions and the orchestra and everything and played by a leading rock band, for instance. So Hmm. but it still has those kind of Western elements, although Scarlet is not is not in that picture yet. You know, so it's it's a lot of it's all these kind of fusion. And then in the doctor in the clinic fight, uh, which follows a bit later. That's like a it's a it's a cross between a, a mariachi band that we used and a and a um, and fl- and some flamenco guitars and and a baroque ensemble. Mm-hmm. So you know, so all these kind of blends, um, you know, we put them in a specific way. It's almost like we didn't want the music to be to tell you, okay, we're you know, it's not a spoof. It's not a you know, we're not taking the piss off. But there's still a lot of kind of um um it's very humorous in a way so yeah. there's always a bit of a wink in, in our eye like you know you know it's a bit it's not it's a movie you know it's not real life it's not i mean it's it has brutal violence and, and a lot of kind of blood and stuff like that but it's it's always done with a wink you know so it's it's almost like comics yeah, very much so. I, that's the kind of the feel I got from it. Because in, in the opening scene, she's sitting there eating cereal while she's stitching up her arm and and watching yeah. you know anime. And that's kind of yeah. I felt like that was a little thing to let you know here's where we're going, folks. And I think the 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 movie and the music kind of played right along with that, and you get that sense early on that this is the kind of film it is. And it's got a lot of surprises though involved. So when you're when you were watching this, obviously I, I can imagine that scoring. You know, you've got an idea. Here's the fight. That's going to get edited by the filmmaker and the director and everything and the DP. And then you've got to to have your music bed underneath that. How long did it take you? Let's let's just say any one of the scenes. Let's say the the uh, bowling alley scene to sit down and say, OK, here's the final edited piece and adjust the music so it fits perfectly in there. How long of a process is that for you? We'll pause right there. Come back and get that answer from composer Frank Ilfman. Please stand by. This is Diane Pershing, the voice of Poison Ivy, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. 
Welcome back to geek to me Radio. If you're enjoying the show so far, I would ask, uh, as a way to support the show, what you could do is go to bit.ly, L-Y, bit.ly slash geek to me bit.ly slash geek to me There's an Amazon affiliate link. Now, if you're doing a lot of online shopping anyway, this Amazon affiliate link, you just click on the link and go to Amazon through geek to me Radio, and nothing changes for you at all. The only thing that is different is that whatever you buy, if you're buying Funko Pops, if you're buying a retro T-shirt, if you're buying a board game like Gloomhaven or something like that, or you're buying a video game, whatever you might be buying, the only thing is different is that a small percentage of that sale goes to us here at geek to me Radio. So it doesn't cost you any more. It doesn't affect the seller at all. Amazon just kind of gives us a little thing like, hey, thanks for sending someone through to Amazon for this. So we would ask you to bookmark that link so that anytime you do Amazon shopping, you click through from geek to me Radio and we just get a very small percentage of whatever you buy. So if you make a big buy, that's even better. But anything, Funko Pops, T-shirts, graphic novels, whatever you end up buying, that helps support the show. So we would appreciate if you do that bit.ly slash geek to me. It's a really cool little rhyming thing that my executive producer, Joey V, came up with. And we've even got a little video on the website, geektomeradio.com. But that's beside the point. Uh, We're talking with Frank Miller, composer and music director for Gunpowder Milkshake. And as we're talking about the process, I asked him right before we went to break, how long of a process is it to sync the music to a, a certain particular scene? Um, well, he's just the, the, one of the hardest ones. Um, so we, tr- we tried kind of like all kind of things. When, when, when I first flew into to Berlin and I saw a cut of the, of the film, and uh, you know, as we started to progress and we, we always talked about certain styles and, and we created like a playlist of songs and, and scores and stuff that would think you know would work on the film and that 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 kind of bali alley in specific um we couldn't find really anything that would fit um some things were kind of like it was okay with it but it wasn't it and um i I think i think what we realized was that it would need some sort of a rock beat not something more electronic or anything like that would make it would need like some sort of a rock track Mm -hmm. Because that that kind of um, temp that we tried and and tried to use was were all kind of like some sort of a rock song on a you know on a certain BPM and that seems to work as as per the beat but not as a, as a, as the style of music in general. Um, so we had a few we had a few tries on that one and uh, and then what it is is that the scene before is basically. Um, we have kind of like a standoff between Sam and the goons and that's, that's kind of, uh, that was scored as almost like, um, you know, um, for a fistful of dollars or one of those kind of right. standoff. Right. And that, that kind of standoff actually is again, almost at the end of the film with the librarians. So we have like our standoff music. So the first part of it is quite comic when when Sam is confronting the goons. Um, And then I thought, well, if we're already in that kind of mood, why don't we kind of push a notch up and then continue with kind of with that kind of Western thing, but do it on on this kind of rock thing. And then that kind of brought it where, you know, I thought, well, we have the whistling. Why don't we use the whistling as a hook? And then add, you know, the soprano and the orchestra, and then we have our obviously the the rock band leading it, and that, and then um, 
I created like a quick uh, quick mock-up of that of the thing, and then um, that seems to work. And then it went through different cuts and so on. And then we kind of adapt uh, the score uh, to the to the cut until it was you know the final kind of edit. And then I adapted um, uh, the, the, that cue to it. But it's like I would say with this one, and there's a few of them that are our approach to it was almost like um, like it would be a needle drop. Mm-hmm. So so you would think it's a track and it can stand as a track, but actually it is written to picture. So and that was the hard thing to try and create, where you almost have like a you know like a verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, and so on. And you have that in the queue as a score, but match to picture. And that's actually was the, the hardest thing to try and achieve, hmm. you know, because we wanted those tracks to kind of, you know, that somebody will listen. They can listen to it outside of the film as a track and not just like, a, you know, just film music. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. I, I you mentioned the good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, from what I understand, that was the soundtrack as a young eight-year-old Frank Elfman that kind of hooked you in and made you realize you wanted to do not just music but film music. Is that is that correct? Yeah. So, so as an eight-year-old, you know, I, I was I was kind of fascinated by, you know, I started noticing, you know, the music and films, and it was like all these, um, you know, pirate movies with uh, Douglas Fairbanks and. Uh, you know, music by uh, Eric Korngold uh, and all this, and um, Alex North and and people like that. And and then you know, my dad gave me that album, which was uh, it was the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and and um, and the Big Gun Down. And you know, when I heard that as an album, I thought, oh my god, that's so good. And then once I've seen the film, that kind of I think that planted the seed. You know. Uh, in somewhere in the back of the head of saying, you know, that's a good direction to go. But it only it it's only kind of metaphor, I think, after uh when I went to see the the set of the um the never ending story. Yeah. And then to see some of the recording sessions and then um I was thirteen at the time and I thought, oh my God, that would be so cool to to write music for film. But as a thirteen year old, you know, where do you go from there? So <laughs> My direction went as, you know, doing, um, uh, being in rock bands and working in studios and learning all that kind of stuff. And that, and then it just kind of led into it, you know, by coincidence. And it's ever since been doing that. And there's obviously quite a difference from when you're up on a stage performing as part of a band for a live audience. You had, it's almost delayed gratification when you're composing all this music for a film, you have to wait for the film to be out to see people's reaction to it. So it's, it's a much different beast, I would think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny where, um, when I was still kind of touring and, and doing shows and, and you tour and you're on a bus, uh, you know, going from place to place and all that you, in your head, you kind of wish, Oh, I wish I was in the studio in the comfort and doing that. Um, but then when you're in the studio thing, Oh, I want to be back on stage. <laughs> it's always that, you know, grass always greener. But, um, yeah, with film, it's funny because you do something um, that sometimes, you know, the film get delayed. Um, so you have to sit in it for as long as it, you sit in it uh, when they decide to release it. Or, you know, sometimes you can get script completely and then you don't even see it. But, um, 
Yeah, as you said, I've, I mean, the, the, the best gratification with that is that when you go and record the orchestra and, um, you know, you kind of mix the, the, the score and everything is done. And then, yeah, you want people to hear it. But, yeah, that, that, will, that can take, you know, can take even a couple of years down the films that I've done sometimes. So, um, yeah, it's a, diff- it's a different kind of beast, you know, a lot of patience. Absolutely. And I can only imagine when you met Klaus Doldinger on the set of Neverending Story and you got to see the recording session, was did he give you, like, at the time, this was something you thought you wanted to do? Did he give you any advice? Do you remember any any sage words that he said to you? Um, no, no, we didn't speak much. It was, it was, you know, it was very nice. And I was just standing, kind of like sitting there on the side, watching it and such. And, um, you know, just kind of, it was just like, you know, great to be a, a, a fly on the wall and seeing what they were doing. Um, but no, that, I mean, most of my advice came, um, some of it was, was from Ennio Morricone said, you know, in nature, you find all the best sounds if you, you know, you want to be original. And, and then, um, I had, uh, I met the Errol Hagen a few times who gave me some of the first click books, uh, that I actually still have. And, and um and Walter Chef and people like that and and they gave me kind of you know kind of good advice about doing you know getting starting into that because when I started um they were still doing stuff on film and uh using click books and and uh, things like that so it was a it's a different it was a whole different approach as it is now basically but I'm I'm very grateful for like all those advices because you you kind of learn you know from your mistake as you go and you know you can't mess up too much because you know things are you know um, cost huge amount and it's film and you have to what you get to record is what you get to record where today you know it's much easier with all the punch in and out and stuff back then we had to carry two inch reels and things like that so wow. yeah. And I know some people often conflate the two terms. There's the soundtrack and there's the score. Obviously, like one of my favorite examples, I I, I love both of them for The Crow. Uh, the soundtrack, it's got like Stone Temple Pilots and The Cure. The, the score has all these beautiful orchestrations and everything like that. What are some of your favorite movie scores that uh, you kind of hold to a, a higher level than others? Uh, well, you mentioned the crow. The crow is really cool. It's um, you know, uh, Graham Graham Revell's score for that one is is phenomenal. Actually, I think he's, I think he's one of the first, if not almost maybe the first, who used uh, the Duke on that score, um, which then many people started using, and uh, and uh, yeah, the Duke and a knee flute um, that was used on that one. Um, yeah, the crow is really good. Um, I love. Um, um blade runner oh yeah you know the original kind of soundtrack that uh came out uh you know in in the later years Mm -hmm. um i think it's like one of the best kind of ambient albums there is um and um yeah the good the bad and the ugly and cinema paradiso i think it's a great uh homage to filmmaking um, but as you say, you know, it's true. There is, um, funny enough, some of the reviews, um, they're mentioning, for instance, the soundtrack and they're mentioning the Janis Joplin track in the film, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't, you know, usually, uh, most of the time you, the score is not really um, influenced by the songs because it's a, a, it's a separate entity. So 
um, I think the music supervisor usually will choose certain songs or the director will choose certain song, depends who, who makes the decision about, you know, which song to use. And, and sometimes they won't necessarily fit with the score. But as you say, people sometimes would, they would kind of uh, mix, you know, the two together. Yeah. yeah. You know, separate things. And even sometimes the, um, Sometimes people refer to the soundtrack, and they might mean the you know the ambiance and the the special and the sound effects, for instance. Right. Yeah. That's and uh, I noticed all the projects you've worked on. Is there a different mindset for you as a composer when you're going in to work on a TV series versus a documentary versus a feature film like Gunpowder Milkshake? Is there a certain kind of uh, different compartment on your brain that switches on for a different project like that or is everything kind of just you're approaching it with the same outlook it's just it's a different project one from another and we need to take another commercial break we're going to pause and do that right now we'll be right back continuing our chat with frank ilfman please stand by This is Kimberly Brooks, the voice of Princess Allura. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio. Chatting with Frank Ilfman, composer of Gunpowder Milkshake. I recommend seeing this film on Netflix when you get the chance. It is really a lot of fun in a Tarantino-esque John Wick meets Leon the Professional kind of movie. Uh, absolutely adore it. It's cinematically uh, visually stunning, and the music is really, really great. The themes, and we're talking with composer Frank Elfman all about that right now. And I asked him about uh, when you're working on a feature film like this, he's done a lot of scoring for documentaries and also for TV shows. Is there a different mindset? Does that, uh, do you take each project differently? Um, yeah, most of them most of them are different. I mean, there's always like certain uh, certain um certain guidelines that sometimes they're they're quite the same um or the brief that you get from the director sometimes they they can you know be in in the same direction as you know sad music uh happy music and you know scary music and so on but it's it's not necessarily that music would be the same happy sad scary music you know, i would always write and also i always try to um I try to be as original if I can, if we have the time to experiment and the budget. Um, again, a lot of it is dep depends on the film and the you know on the on the narrative of the film and and what you know what's the the, the what's the subtext of 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 the film. What what does it say? Um, so it's it's. I mean, with documentary, it's it's sometimes it can be tricky because. Um, Film music, in a way, is is basically manipulating the audience. Mm -hmm. You know, the director wants to tell the audience what they want to feel at at a specific moment. Where with documentaries, it's it's mostly music is more of a um, music takes like a more of a backseat um, approach. It's much more. Um, it's kind of like sitting on the fence a lot of time. It doesn't you because do, the director don't want to tell the audience what to feel or you know or they want to keep it. In, in a way a bit realistic um so it depends i mean there's there's certain uh, there's a documentary i've 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 done that we um which the soundtrack actually it's already out and actually the 
the film was had a premiere in the Berlin film yeah the Berlin Film Festival last year um, and now it's coming out because it got delayed with the pandemic and it's called Spear Goes to Hollywood and um, with that one for instance the the main character uh, uh, Spear who's a uh, he was portrayed as the good Nazi, although he was um, quite—he was like the second in command for Hitler and in charge of all the camps and 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 the working labor, uh, working um, and the labor camps. Mm. And when we did the film, um, one of the thing was that how can we, you know, we were not sure who from the audience would know the character. So the idea was, okay, let's create music for the, for, for the spear character that will give us the illusion that he is a good guy, even though we know he's not, but we want it. We want the audience who don't know the story necessarily, um, to feel like, Oh, he's, you know, he's a good guy. And then you kind of, you know, you, as you go deeper into the film, you know, the, the tone of the music start to change. And then we realize this guy is just doing manipulation and, He's actually he's not a good guy. He was just using, you know, all the all the victim as, as labor force. Hmm. You know, so that that's a that's a case where, you know, we did want it to influence the audience a certain direction, you know, with the music. And the music obviously uh, that was the tool to do it. Um T V shows are different. T V shows sometimes you you don't always write to picture as you would do with a film. Sometimes you just kinda create some themes and then you create a certain bank of music that the editors can kind of play with, you know, and chop it up and, and move it, you know, move it wherever they want to do. So the approaches sometimes are a bit different, but it's, but the way I work is always intuitive. So for me, when I approach a project it's more or less the same, like, um, I just watch it a couple of times and have a, have a good, uh, discussion, um, with the director and the editors and, um, and then I just kind of start, um, playing around with themes and suites and ideas and, and, you know, start sending stuff out and see what works, what doesn't work. If we got the right colors and, you know, uh, specific instrumentation. So, yeah. And if you're listening right now, gunpowder milkshake, you can catch it on Netflix as it's out as of July 14th. So you can catch it now. Um, the music really does. It's as much, part of the movie as the background and the sets and the clothes that just it kind of the music really just kind of envelops the whole film so i was blown away by it but definitely it's one of those things i always say if you if you put whatever movie you're watching on mute it will completely change the way you're watching it without the yeah. music the music really does drive and i can't give you enough credit for yeah. uh the, yeah. the work you did on this thank you yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, I mean, that's one of the, the, the great fun of working with Nevot, who, you know, we've done, uh, I think it's our fourth project now. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's very musical and he's, uh, he knows, I mean, he knows exactly what he wants musically. And we always have a certain journey of, of, you know, he will throw all these kind of ideas and then i will take all of those ideas and i go okay i can see where you're going and then i'll i'll kind of mash it and come up with something and um and he's always you know very respectful of the of the music and um and the use of it in the film so um 
you know, the music is it, it, it's always got the place. There's never uh, an issue of of um, of being scared that the music is is um, uh, you know it, the effects are taking over or the music is kind of misused and starting to be moved around and so on and edited and chopped in you know in bizarre ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always you know you know that when you work with him you know there's always you know, music is always going to be as, as almost like another character in any film that he does, because it's very important to him uh, to have a, you know, to have a score and that score that will be, you know, um, will be quite in the front, I would say. I mean, there was even time when I even started saying, well, I think it's a bit loud, you know, like <laughs> I'm all for, you know, usually composer of the one that you don't want in the dubbing stage, because we always complain the music is too low. Right. Um, but, you know, less, less is more. And even sometimes you go, don't you think the music is a bit loud too much? Uh, <laughs> but no, it, it's great to work because there's so much respect to the, for the music um, that, you know, when you have the you have also the room to all this kind of experimentation. And, you know, if you feel like even though if you do a mainstream film like Gunpowder, um, you can still kind of go left field with certain things and certain cues and, you know, um, and it's good fun to do these kind of things. Yeah. The movie movie itself is certainly good fun. That's uh, that's a great way to describe it as well. Yeah. And you've got, uh, I should say a very elegant website, just your name, Frank We'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I know COVID has kind of uh, made a little uh, hard to follow as far as projects that you probably were working on before COVID are just now starting to come out, but it looked like you had three or four that you've completed. Are those ones that uh, they're probably going to come out soon or are they still being finalized? We'll pause right there. Take our very last commercial break, come back and continue our chat with Frank Ilfman. Please stand by. Hi there, this is Claudia Christian from Babylon 5, and you're listening to geek to me Radio. And we're back for our final segment. I want to make sure we tell you about our premier sponsor. The show would not be possible without their support, and that is the City of St. Charles, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. You know them as the website, discoverstcharles.com. They've got a big festival coming up. There's always something going on. We just went down there the other day. And we met uh, my wife's sister and her husband and went to Fastlane, kind of browsed the cars there at Fastlane, out all those vintage cars. Then we went down to Main Street and just kind of wanted to shop around. We went into Sugar and Slice. They have these delicious cinnamon rolls that are just the best cinnamon rolls I ever had. Uh, we had lunch at Salt and Smoke. It was packed. Of course, it's a beautiful day. It's a Saturday so, yeah, it's a great place to go visit, and a lot of people do that. And there was a Pokemon event, and if you're a Pokemon Go fan, there are Pokestops up and down the street, like 12 in each block. So many people out enjoying the day, and we love to see it. There were people in Frontier Park bike riding. It's just a great place to go, even if it's not a Pokemon event day, with the food and just the getting outside, and after this year of lockdown we've had with things coming back to normal. It's a great place to visit. And if you're in the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area, 
you probably know what I'm talking about if you've been there. If you haven't, you need to get over and see it. It's really a great place to go no matter what your uh, tastes are. And if you're looking for some some nightlife, if you're looking for something to do during the day, if you're wanting to go try a new restaurant, if you're looking for a unique gift idea, St. Charles has all of this. We're so lucky to have this jewel right here in our backyard. And if you're from outside the listening area, maybe you're not in the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area. You're, you're hearing this and right now you're in Vermont or you are in Arizona. Who knows where you are? You might be up in Canada. Plan a trip. Come down and visit. Start at the website, discoverstcharles.com. That's discoverstcharles.com. Plan your trip. See all the things there are to see and do. Come for Halloween. Come for Christmas when those big festivals are going on that are just so immersive and fun. But there's never a bad time to come visit. We always say it's an historically good time. Once again, that website, discoverstcharles.com. Check them out. The premier sponsor of geek to me Radio. We're wrapping up our conversation with composer Frank Ilfman doing all the music for Gunpowder Milkshake, now available on Netflix for viewing. And as we're wrapping up, I asked him, as I always do with my guests, uh, a lot of upcoming projects in either post-production or getting ready to film. Uh, what can you tell us about the status of those projects? Um, yeah, COVID is a, is a funny thing, actually. I mean, one of the one of the. I mean, the only the only kind of positive thing that I, I would say on on this the whole kind of lockdown. I mean, most composer will say I think that lockdown might have been easy because we always kind of you know we are always kind of confined to one room anyway. Most <laughs> so we barely come out. Right. So for us, you know, that kind of solitude is fairly easy. But um, yeah, no, one of the the only I think the only. Fun, positive thing for this COVID thing, besides, you know, a bit of uh, less pollution, is that we had the chance to kind of work around gunpowder uh, throughout the year. So, I mean, we literally, I started scoring it last November, and it took like a bit more than a year to finish with all that. So hmm. throughout the, the throughout the year, it was just working on, uh, it was just me working on the score, and uh, and they were still editing throughout the year so the score kind of progress with with the with 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 the with the film but um yeah there was uh, there was one that i um just recently finished called general of god that we finished scoring in london and that kind of got postponed because of covid and then spear we literally recorded spear just when the lockdown started and then we had a premiere in berlin and that got delayed afterwards so the film is only now starting to come out um so yeah it, it kind of threw a curveball on anything on everything in a way and now things are starting to pick up we can start to watch for these start to uh, trickle on to streaming services and in theaters and things like that uh, besides your website frankilfman.com is there are there other places social media where people can kind of keep up with you um yeah i'm on uh, i'm on um, instagram which is just at ilfman and or Twitter, which is Frank Hilfman. And any other projects other than those you just mentioned? Anything you're currently working on, or can you not say? Um, no, there's this one that I'm, I'm well, there's two that I'm kind of bound from saying, but one of them is involving with the uh, with Andy and uh, Jeremy from Ghost Stories. Oh, cool! So we're, yeah, we're starting something new soon. Very so neat. I think people would be quite. Uh, excited about that yeah so it sounds like you're staying very busy covid or not <laughs> yeah well dad and my my dog yeah keeping me busy 
Right. Well, and the wife as well. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And again, congratulations on Gunpowder Milkshake. It was absolutely brilliant. And again, if you're listening, make sure you check out that. It's on Netflix as of July 14th. Frank Ilpman, I appreciate your time so much. Thank you to you and continued success. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, James. That's going to do it. That's going to wrap it up. My thanks again to Amber Jordan of Kokomo Toys and, of course, to composer Frank Ilfman for their time. Always a pleasure to talk to these guests. Make sure you check out the website, geek2meradio.com, and please, please, please find us on YouTube. Subscribe there. Hit the little bell notification. Leave comments under our videos. I would love to up my algorithms on YouTube, and I need your help to do just that. Please subscribe, check out, and uh, watch some of our videos there. If you haven't seen past shows, that's a great place to catch up until next week my friends it's not in the way you watch i sound be it's not in the way you watch the flash it's not in the way you love scotty young art it's not in the way you play mario kart it's not in the way you look when you make him and throw references that's a show Good night. Hey, kids. Are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from Amazon? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Well, don't be selfish. Share some of that money with us. Before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say Referral geek to me Radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.